Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Jason Greenblatt. With tensions rising across the world, diplomacy is needed perhaps now more than ever. During my time as former White House Middle East envoy and as one of the chief architects of peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors, I've had the chance to witness the power of diplomacy firsthand, and today I would like to share that perspective with you. Shalom, salam, and welcome to The Diplomat. Today, my guest is Ari Gargir, CEO and founder of Red Sea Biotech. Red Sea's mission is to manufacture universal red blood cells for transfusions and advanced therapies. They aim to create one blood type that can be used by almost any patient. If they're successful, this will reduce, maybe even eliminate the need for blood donors. It'll help drive down certain healthcare costs and save lives. Take a listen. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Really pleased to be here today with Ari Gargir. Ari Gargir founded Red Sea Biotech. Uh, Ari, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the right way to describe this is you have figured out a way or you're trying to develop a way to print, 3D print, uh, red blood cells. Is that right? Well, I think we're not in the realm of printing because red blood cells are... Uh, carry oxygen as single cells in our body, but we are developing a process to produce, manufacture the red blood cells artificially uh, in the lab or in a factory. So uh, in order to give them for transfusions or for advanced therapy. So it's not exactly printing, but uh, in a way. <laughs> Got it. And, you know, every time I read about or see a new invention, I'm excited, but this one, I don't know, just so unusually exciting. Uh, let's start with why it's needed. Uh, it's probably obvious to many, but why don't we go over why people, why you need to um, actually be successful at this, why the world needs this invention. Right. I think there are very few people who themselves or family members or people that they know uh, received blood transfusions because blood transfusions and specifically we're dealing with red blood cells. Uh, red blood cells carry oxygen in our body and they remove carbon dioxide and they're essential in many, many uh, medical interventions from uh, people that suffer from uh, trauma and accidents uh, and different injuries, women, that lose blood in childbirth, people that go in surgeries. And there are many, many people around the world that suffer from blood disorders like sickle cell anemia um, or thalassemia, which are dependent on blood transfusions in order to survive. And then of course, there are also cancer patients that uh, either lost their ability to uh, produce blood cells because of their 
cancer or because of their uh, treatment have had impaired uh, blood production. So these millions and millions of people around the world um, require blood uh, for therapy. Um, above that, there uh, about 120 million blood transfusions are donated every year. But um, about 100 million blood units are in shortage around the, around the world because uh, in, of either inadequate or an insufficient ability uh, to supply the blood in many areas. So many people die because of uh, uh, blood loss and be, uh, because of insufficient or inadequate blood. And these shortages uh, that are, are chronic in uh, many low-income regions around the world and, uh, and people suffer from them constantly, um, the high-income regions suffered from these shortages um, a lot during the pandemic uh, because uh, people were, were reluctant of going and do uh, donating blood. And uh, there were widespread shortages. People, uh, surgery were canceled. And um, I think uh, now many people are much more aware of the need. So blood is essential. Uh, the only source today for blood is from donors. And um, it's, it's currently not a sustainable model. And we have to change that. And that's, that's what we're here to do. Okay, so let's talk about you. Did you, what's your background? Did you wake up one morning, realize the problem and say, I'm going to figure out how to tackle this and see if I could fix it? Or have you sort of been in this space, this medical space, perhaps the uh, blood cell, red blood cell space for a long time? Where did this even come from? Yeah, well, it it didn't, I didn't, uh, I actually had the idea one time uh, when I woke up at night one time, but the, uh, the process of getting the idea was very long and it started uh, maybe uh, 30 years ago in 1990. Uh, I went paragliding and I was uh, wounded. I blew up my two lungs and I lost an awful lot of blood. Uh, I had field surgery and uh, the doctor that came in the helicopter uh, gave me a blood transfusion, which saved my life. Um, that uh, the uh, um, experience of waking up in the hospital, uh, in, the ho in the helicopter, and uh, understanding that I have a blood transfusion uh, in my body from a different person, potentially with his uh, diseases or uh, that person's history triggered thoughts. And uh, it, it was hanging in there, but only many years later. I, I, in the, I'm in the biotech industry since uh, the year 2000, after I completed my studies in the university, my PhD. And um, after many years of studying different uh, technologies. I've learned about a technology that allows to produce uh, target cells from stem cells, specifically a technology that spun out of the Technion in Israel. That's like Israel's MIT. 
And uh, this technology allows to take stem cells from a, a specific uh, donated source from, uh, from uh, humans, from people that, uh, from uh, somatic cells, from people that gave their, their consent to it and produce any uh, human target cell. And then suddenly I understood uh, we could take these stem cells and produce red blood cells. Very quickly, I understood that uh, I'm not the first one to think about it, but the technology that we're using uh, has the best potential to industrialize this process and really solve the problem of supplying blood to the world. And how far are you in the process, meaning it's done and you can actually now try to scale it, or is it not yet done? So we have a process uh, that we take the, the stem cells and produce red blood cells, and we're scaling the process up. This is a, this is a, a, a process that takes time. Um, the scale-up is uh, costly. It's it takes time. Um, the idea is to achieve red blood cells at the highest quality, at a quality that can be injected and produce it at a scale and then in a process that we could show can be indefinitely scaled up after. Uh, the idea in the end is to have a process that could be, uh, that could reach economy of scale, meaning that we could produce these red blood cells and uh, produce them at a quality that, uh, and safety measures. And of course, at a cost that will compete with the cost of a blood transfusion that came from a donated source. So I want to get to cost because that obviously is really important. Um, I don't want to say if you're successful. Let's say when you're successful, God willing. Mm -hmm. Do you envision this being a significant savings, meaning there's the obvious there's not enough blood, so there's a, ma a real reason to do it, even if it's more expensive. But is there an added benefit that this will be less costly? And if so, how much less costly than donor-given blood? Right. I think the, the, uh, the aspect of cost is complex. So there's the exact, uh, you know, if the Excel sheet where you put uh, the cost on one side and uh, what, it will, what we will sell the blood for on the other side. And you could see the benefit or target to the, the, a, a blood transfusion today uh, in the United States and a very similar cost in the Europe is about $200. And this, the, the, the cost is actually the cost of taking a blood that was given voluntarily by a person and uh, the, the cost is mostly testing uh, the blood, all of the logistics of taking the blood and uh, moving it uh, and packing it and sending it to the hospital. And the orange juice, um, they, the orange juice they make you drink after, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, and the cooking. <laughs> uh, but, um, but this is not the only cost that, that uh, is added to the blood transfusion because... Um, other than when a person receives a blood transfusion in, in, uh, in an urgent method way, people get transfusions um, like for surgery. And a person 
that goes to surgery may receive multiple blood transfusions from multiple donors. And each one of these blood transfusions has to be cross-matched to, to make sure that, this is, that it fits uh, the donor and it's not rejected because a blood transfusion, other than the, the fact that we have a type, um, can be rejected uh, because of uh, all kinds of blood uh, uh, residuals that occur in the, in the transfusion. And there's additional costs that could come up to $400 and, and even higher. So blood transfusion isn't only $200, it's, it could be up to $600, and uh, sometimes it's reported even more. Our target is to produce the blood transfusion at a cost of about $50. So uh, we'll be saving a lot of money uh, on all of the tests. Uh, and of course, uh, it won't only be profitable, it will be uh, very uh, humanitarian and we'll be saving a lot of lives. But the, the blood transfusion itself will have many uh, um, advantages. One of them is that the we're, because we're producing the blood transfusion from stem cells, we choose the, the type and the characteristics of the blood that we'll produce by using a, a stem cell that came from a donor that has the widest applicability or compatibility to uh, humans. And the, these kind of donors, you could call them like universal donors. They're not only O-negative, but they have an even more uh, special uh, characteristic to them. And because we're, we're manufacturing in a very uh, uh, controlled process, very clean process, uh, uh, the product will, of course, be with no pathogens, no diseases, will not have any uh, residual blood components. Uh, you'll, uh, the, the physician who will give the blood knows exactly how many blood cells he's giving the patient. And this will be calibrated in each and every blood. And the most important thing is that it's donor-free. We're not, uh, we're, uh, it will be a pharmaceutical, it will be a commodity, and we won't have to depend anymore on the goodwill and uh, of, of the donors. Um, the do uh, it will not, the, the production will not be affected by holidays, by bad weather, by pandemics, by catastrophes. It will produce according to a forecast, produce according to um, uh, demand, and of course, produce with surplus that could serve if there are catastrophes and, or any uh, extreme needs. And my, my vision are, my hope is that we'll be able to uh, move around all of the surplus and send it to places of need and help uh, alleviate uh, the, the really uh, uh, severe shortages around the world. So that brings up the supply chain, right? Um, people didn't pay much attention to supply chain prior to COVID. Now, uh, maybe the discussion has tapered off slightly but we certainly went through over two years of major, major supply chain issues. Are you building into your concept, your business model, um, making sure that the supply chain is as disruptive free as possible? Is that even possible? 
Yeah, well, for the raw materials that we'll need to produce, that is uh, a challenge. Uh, and and the, the challenge is to build infrastructure that will allow to overcome that. Uh, on the geographical level, uh, Red Sea Biotech's vision is that we'll have production sites all over the world. Every region will have uh, one or several production sites that will uh, make sure that uh, every population, every region has its own blood capacity supply um, for different reasons. One of them is because we have different regulatory systems around the world. Uh, you have the FDA, the EMEA, the PMDA, every country and every region has its, has its requirements and the production has to be under those uh, regulatory systems. The other reason is so that you will be in a, a logistic distance from hospitals and hospitals are the main user other than the patients that receive the blood. The hospitals are the customers and uh, we want to be in the distance so that it will not be an ecological burden or uh, a logistic uh, nightmare in order to bring the blood and make sure that you have a constant supply of blood everywhere and all the time. Are there any objections to this? Meaning, assume the technology ends up uh, being successful as you've done it and you deal with the supply chain and other technical problems. Are there people who may say, here's why this is a bad idea? And if so, are, the, are those arguments legitimate? Well, one, one um, objection which, uh, which I've heard is for the use of stem cells, uh, which is uh, uh, back maybe 20 years ago uh, when people brought up the point of using stem cells. Uh, a lot of the technologies, a lot of the uh, science around it, it was uh, based on embryonic stem cells, which are controversial. And of course, uh, we're not building on, on that kind of a, a source for the stem cells. First of all, the stem cells will be taken from uh, one, theoretically one donor whose blood type will fit most of humanity. And this is a one-time process. Does that person have to be named Adam? Uh, you you could call him Adam. That, that may be a good... Uh, or, or Eve. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. That could be a very good uh, name for that uh, father or mother of all donors. Um, but of course, the technology that we're using means that uh, the donor will give his consent. And uh, probably this donor will also enjoy the blood transfusions because uh, these specific kinds of donors are people that uh, also cannot receive donations easily because their, their blood is, is, uh, is so good for everybody, but uh, they could accept only specific ones. So that's, so first of all, the point of embryonic stem cells is out. And of course, the source of the stem cells will be done uh, in the uh, best manner. Um, Another point is that uh, the blood transfusion agencies have many employees and people that do really uh, holy work, very important. And, and, and the, at this point, there's no uh, substitution to what they're doing. And 
this industry will change. The way blood is supplied will change. But first of all, it will be to the good of the patients. And second, it won't, it won't happen in one day. This is something that will happen gradually. The development, the regulatory approvals, the building of um, the production sites around the world and the, and the vamp up of the production, all of these will take a lot of time and will allow to organize the supply agencies differently. And in the end, I'm not sure that we'll be able also to provide every blood type or every need that there is. That, and uh, just like organs and the printing of organs is not going to happen tomorrow afternoon, we'll have to, uh, all of these things will happen uh, with, in, in time and, and uh, we'll have plenty of time to get organized for them. I'm going to, I have no medical background, so this question may be silly or naive, but I'll just ask it anyway. In theory, let's say somebody has some sort of blood issue, uh, high sugar, um, some other problem with their blood. Can you literally replace, in, in theory, the person's blood in their entire body, and that would um, get rid of that problem, or might the problem reappear, uh, high sugar being one of the examples, because the you know, you might clean them out for a day or a week or a month, but the reason for the high sugar will just move back into the new blood. So we're focusing on red blood cells. Red blood cells are only one component, a very big component. Perhaps the, they're, uh, numerically, they're the, the largest cell population in our body, but uh, but. There are only one component of the blood. Blood has also platelets, has all the white blood cells that have to do with the immune system. Uh, the plasma that contains uh, antibodies and albumin and many, many other uh, factors that go through the blood and, and, uh, and carry uh, nourishment. So uh, we're focusing only on the red blood cells. It's big enough a challenge as it is. Um, and replacing the red blood cells uh, is, is done, all, or the addition of red blood cells is done for specific uh, medical treatments. Um, the, a vision is one day to produce an artificial, uh, artificially produced whole blood because the red blood cells alone um, solve the oxygen carrying capacity uh, but, for example, when a person goes to an operation, they sometimes get a cocktail of red blood cells, platelets, and plasma. If we'll be able to, uh, perhaps other companies that, that are developing platelet production, other companies that may be able to artificially produce the uh, plasma, we can compose a, an artificial whole blood product which will be much more beneficial or have a therapeutic um, abilities for patients. Uh, but that's also long, long ahead. Where'd you get the name Red Sea? Obviously, you're in the region of the Red Sea. Is that, is, was that you woke up one day and said, that's what I want to name it? Or is there a connection to what you do? Well, Red uh, C stands for the cells. So it's a kind of a play on words. word game of the uh, that has context to uh, where 
Red Sea originates from uh, here in Israel, the Middle East, and Red Sills. Last question. Uh, what you're doing is inspiring. You know, it's sort of breathtaking. Thank the you. Idea. What's your message to people who uh, want to help change the world with something dramatic? What's your, you know, what can you, what advice can you give them when they wake up in the morning and they think, oh, it's too hard, it's too impossible? Because what you're working on seems pretty hard and pretty impossible, yet you're doing it. What do you tell them? Well, um, one thing uh, is being thankful to, to your environment, to people that uh, break that uh, kind of uh, uh, inspired you to come to come to this point and uh, to be able to do this kind of a contribution. But um, also it requires tons and tons of patience and persistence. And, uh, um, and I think the, I think those are the important parts of, uh, of being in this position. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that would be it. <laughs> Ari Gargir, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. I wish you tremendous thank luck you. and success on this enormous project that the world, all of humanity could benefit from. So thank you also for being a guest on The Diplomat. Thank you very much. Well, that was fascinating. A little science fiction meets modern day reality. Ari and I discussed the global shortage of blood supply, the complexity of the supply chain, safety concerns, availability, cost, and lots more. It's going to be really interesting to see how this develops. Hey, listeners, if you didn't pick up a copy of my book, In the Path of Abraham, now's the time. Thankfully, it's gotten some great reviews. Go to Amazon and search my name or search In the Path of Abraham. Or go to InThePathOfAbraham.com and order it from there. It's an insider's perspective on how the Abraham Accords were concluded and why they offer a way forward to a new era of peace and prosperity in the Middle East. If you're interested in today's Middle East, this is the book for you. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.